Let's open our Bibles up to the book of 1 John. 1 John. We will be in chapter 3 this morning. I was having a conversation the other day, and it's a conversation with a Christian brother that happens where many deep conversations happen. We were at a, a booth in Zachary's, and we were talking about church. Now, every single week when we walk into church, our view of God is smaller than it should be. That we think of God in ways that actually belittle Him. That we talk of His power and yet we think so little of it. Of His goodness. And part of us still thinks we actually deserve that goodness. Of His love as if it is actually lacking in some ways. Of His sovereignty as if there are things that that sovereignty does not cover. And so I want you to know that part of our goal this morning, a massive part of our goal this morning, is that we would leave here with a higher view of God than that which we came in with. That we would leave here knowing that He is bigger and He is better than our minds could ever possibly conceive. That His presence with us is nearer and more heaven-bent for our good than we could possibly fathom. You and I are here this morning because He has spoken. Because the God of this world, this universe, the creator of all things has spoken to us this morning. So here's what I'm going to say to you. I'm going to say these words. Let's stand up this morning in honor of the word of our King. And it's not just a Christian phase, a phrase for a bumper sticker. We stand up in honor because our king, the creator of the universe, is speaking to us this morning through 1 John chapter 3. So let's read together, and I want us to begin at verse 1 this morning. This is what John writes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Please be seated. And let's pray together. Father, we do ask that you would take your word and you would implant it in our hearts, that, it would, that we would hear it, that we would understand it, that we would believe it, that we would obey it, and that, Lord, in us, in this church, in each of these brothers and sisters here this morning, 
you would bear forth the fruit of righteousness, a life that points to you, lips that point to your Son. Father, this world is broken. It is so broken. You have hurricanes down in Florida wiping out cities. You have governments that are forming laws to celebrate that which your word, the one who put them in authority, condemns. You have battles taking place, arguments, disunity. There is sin everywhere. And so, Father, how good is it that you are a God who saves sinners? And so, Lord, this morning we confess that that's exactly what we need. We confess that this morning and this week we have sinned against you in our words, in our thoughts, in our deeds. We have done things we should not have done. And we confess those. Father, things we should have done, things your word calls us to, we have left undone. We have not done those. We have not obeyed there either. And we confess that. And Lord, this morning we need Jesus. We need to see him as our Savior and trust him as our Savior and be reminded that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Father, we ask that you would cleanse us this morning. Purify us I pray for this church. God, I pray that you would bring an uncommon, supernatural even, unity here. And Lord, what we need to do to get to there, to get to that place where we need to obey, where we need to repent, may it be done. Father, we thank you that the church is your bride, that this church is your bride. And you are a faithful husband, a protective, a providing, a leading husband. May we follow you in all things. And Lord, that goes for this morning as well. We don't sit over your word, we sit under it. So by your spirit, teach us this morning and make us more like Jesus. And as Bobby said earlier, for those in this room who do not yet know Christ, who are not trusting in him, may today, this day, in this place, be the day of their salvation. Save them, we plead. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was a teenager, I, I'm from Sladen, the Holly Springs, Mississippi, so north of here. And I was a teenager in Sladen Baptist Church. And just kind of to tell you a little bit about myself, I wanted to be a good Christian. I wanted to live a life that was pleasing to God, and I always, always felt like such a failure in that. I felt like I just couldn't do it. I knew the good I wanted to do, and I didn't do it. I noticed, I recognized the evil in my life that I didn't want to do, and it seemed to be that that was what I kept on doing. That when I wanted to be faithful, I usually wasn't. And when I wanted to obey, I would find myself falling and failing continually. Well, every summer, we would go to summer camp. 
And I would look forward to that time as a time where just, just praying that the Lord would speak and the Lord would convict and would encourage me. And I would leave summer camp every single summer throughout my high school and junior high years saying, this time it's going to be different. This time I'm going to be faithful. This time I'm going to keep pressing forward. And then two-a-day football start, would start like a week later. And about three days in, I found myself back where I was. And this was the conclusion that I came to. I'm just not very good at this Christian thing. Here's the deal. Even then, I knew I was a sinner. Even then, I knew that Jesus was my Savior, that I was trusting in Him to save me. And because that was true, and because that is true today, here's the truth. I'm not trying to be a Christian. I'm not trying to be a child of God. I am a child of God. And the calling for you this morning is the same, that if you trust in Jesus as your Savior, the call for you is not to try to be a child of God. Why? Because if you are trusting in Jesus, you are a child of God right now. That by this very moment and this very place, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that's what you are. You are his. And you will be his forever. Understand what it means to be a Christian. This is a standing. This is something that God has done, not something that you are trying to be, aiming to be, hoping to be. You are a child of God right now. Think back to the baptism of Jesus. Jesus comes to be baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan, and this is what we read in Matthew 3, starting at verse 16. It says this, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Now, to my Presbyterian friends, that's why he was called John the Baptist, because Jesus had to come up from the water. You can argue with me later, that's fine. And he comes up out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven says these words, This right here is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We see the picture throughout the Bible that God is a good father and that when he brings other sons and daughters into his family, or in other words, when you, by trusting in Jesus for salvation, became his son or daughter, then this declaration also comes down on you. That you, son of God, you, daughter of God, are beloved. That you are loved by God. Jesus prays in John 17, and if you've never just kind of spent some extended time in John 17, you need to. It's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And he says something in that prayer that is so quick that you could be prone to miss it. But I want to read it to you this morning. John 17, starting at verse 22, this is what Jesus prays to the Father. He says this, The glory that you have given me... I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Now listen to what he says next. 
so that the world, he's praying for the unity of believers, that believers would be together in love, that they would be one, that they would be unified. And then he says this, so that the world will know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Think about what Christ is saying there. Christ is praying. Jesus is praying to God, and he says, here's what I'm praying for, that it will be evident to the world that the love, the love that God has for Jesus is the same love that he has for all of his sons and all of his daughters. So what's he saying? Believer, you are loved. You are righteous. And in you, God is well pleased. This is meant to be the foundation of your life and my life, the foundation of your walk with Christ and my walk with Christ. Because if you start anywhere else than right there, then salvation becomes something you must earn. That the love of God becomes something that you must perform to get that these calls to obedience in the Bible become something that says, if you do this, God will love you and God will accept you. Guess what? That's not good news at all, and it's not the gospel. The gospel says God does this work. He does this work to save sinners and make them new, and then he calls them to live in the reality of who they have been made to be. The, the, the calls to obedience in the Bible aren't some call for you to live in some supernatural way that you don't possess. The calls to obedience in the Bible are for you to live in the new, the, the new reality that God has miraculously bestowed on you. To live as a child of God because that's what you are right now. It's the same as a tree. If we walked outside and there was a peach tree growing, I think it's a great idea. If somebody wants to just go buy one, let's plant some peach trees, let's do it. If you walked outside, you saw peach trees, and you said, look at that. That tree is growing peaches so that it will become a peach tree. We would all look at you and say, there's something wrong with you. That's not how this works. No, the peach tree grows peaches because it's what? It's a peach tree. It's what they do. It's the fruit of what it is. And just like Jesus gets this declaration at his baptism, you are my son, my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Think about what happens right after that. He's driven by the Spirit of God out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And Satan comes to him. And the temptation that Satan gives to Jesus is just like the temptation he gives to us. Life is hard. You're hurting. You lack basic needs. You need something. You don't have it. You're sick. You have an illness. If you are the Son of God... Isn't that how Satan started his temptation? Everyone to Jesus, if you are the Son of God. In other words, are you sure? Are you sure you're the Son of God? Look around you. You don't look like a son to me. And just like he did that with Jesus, he will do it to you. To doubt who you are. Whose you are. Why you are. And in that doubt, 
sin will begin to look good. But sin is not for you, child of God. You've been made new. And for you, the old just won't do. It will not fulfill. It will not satisfy. It will not bring life. And so John's writing this chapter, chapter 3, and you think, you haven't even gotten to our text today. I haven't. But that's all foundational for what we're talking about. So John's writing to us, and he says this, anyone who practices righteousness does so because they are a child of God. Not to become a child of God, but because they are a child of God. That this is the evidence that you are His. That if you are truly a child of God, it will show in your life. But then we come to verse 4, and he kind of flips the coin over, and he says this. That everyone who practices or makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now, I don't know about you, the staff had a conversation about this this week, because we, we gather every week, and we open up the text, and we say, what's it about? What questions do we have? What does it mean? How does it apply to us? And then we plan the service and the songs all around that discussion taking place right there. And we, we, we ask this question, why lawlessness? Why does John make the case and use the word lawless? Because John does this thing where he is so repetitive. Have you noticed that in 1 John? That he comes back and forth and back and forth. I've, I've heard it described like when you're reading 1 John, you're walking up a spiral staircase where every few moments he's going to come back and you're going to see that same thing again. You might just see it from a slightly different view. But that's how 1 John is described. So where does lawless come from? He says it twice in, the, in a matter of, what, an inch in your Bible? But he doesn't say it anywhere else. It's so unlike him. So we asked that question, and we looked it up, and I just said, you know what, let's, let's turn in our, 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 our trusty, handy Google, and let's see where the word lawless comes in the New Testament. And I want to read you a place where lawless comes, lawlessness comes. He says it, sin is lawlessness. Why? And so we looked up, and a place that we found it was actually in 2 Thessalonians 2. And in that chapter, Paul's talking about the fact that one day the Lord is going to come back, but don't let people be deceived as if it's already happened. That there will be people who say, no, Jesus already came back, you missed it. And Paul's saying, no, 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 don't let that happen. And this is what he writes in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. Listen to this. He says this beginning at verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Let me ask you something. Who is that talking about? Satan? Actually, it's the Antichrist. The Antichrist. This, this son of lawlessness is actually the Antichrist. Now, has John spoken about that? He has. We talked about that just in chapter 2. So here's what I think. I think what John's doing there is he's not going to a new subject. He's just coming around the spiral staircase and he's revisiting something he's already talked about. That when we see this 
connection to lawlessness, he's saying, listen, if your life shows itself in righteousness and in obedience, that's the evidence that you are united with Christ, that you are with Christ. But if your life shows itself in sinning and in lawlessness, then you need to understand you're united with who? The Antichrist. That you are against Christ. You are not with him. You are not united with him. You are opposed to him. He actually goes a little farther than that, though. It's not just that if your life is characterized by sin, then you are with the Antichrist. Look what he says in verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. I, I feel like the movie Waterboy almost ruined that. Like, I can't hear that and not kind of think of it. It's of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now, here's what I found. People don't like to be told they are of the devil. Surprising, right? Religious people don't find it to be a compliment, and yet that's exactly what Jesus said to the Pharisees and to the Jews in John chapter 8, which Bobby just read earlier for us. They come against him, and he knows their heart. He knows that they are trying to trap him because they want him dead. And Jesus says this to him, starting at verse 44 of John 8. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And so your will is to do your father's desire. That he was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So hear how he speaks. When the devil speaks, when the devil talks, he's speaking out of his own character. It's just who he is, and it's what he does. And Jesus is saying to these religious people who are standing against him, you're just like him. That that's who you are too. That your lies come from inside because that's who you are. That you are outside of the truth. You are a sinner living in your own reality. You abide in it because it's all you can do. It's who you are. Are, that the person who lives in unrighteousness does so because that's who they are at their core. Live in lawlessness, that's who they are. They do it, Jesus says, because they are sons of their father, the devil. Now, amazingly, this was true of all of us at one point, wasn't it? This was who all of us were. We were born in sin. It's all we knew. Ephesians 2 says it this way. That you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, uh, wrath like the rest of mankind. That we were children of wrath just like the rest of mankind. That we were completely unable to change. We were completely indifferent to change. We were enemies of God, and we did not care. That sin was producing unrighteousness, and hell and torment awaited us. We didn't care. That we were enemies of God. 
that sin had done that. Sin had made this separation between us and a a holy God. And our eternal sin against an eternal God brought with it an eternal punishment. I want you to think about this at some point this week if you can. That God would have been God if he didn't save a single one of us. That it didn't change who he is at all. That God would have still been perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfectly loving, perfectly kind, and perfectly uh, merciful, even if every single one of us went to hell and that was the end of the story. He is who he is. That he could have sent all of us to hell forever and he would have still been God and we could have said nothing. As, as Jason so well pointed out a few weeks ago, nobody in hell says, hey, I've been wronged. Because when they see God, they know they were wrong. They know they've earned their punishment. And if that were the end of the story, it would be a miserable story, wouldn't it? Just talking to a couple right before the service, they said, well, this church we went through, it was all hellfire and brimstone, and the guy never got to the good news. So let's get to the good news, shall we? That's the soil. That's the foundation. And then verse 5 says this, you know this. You know this, church, you know this. Brothers, you know this. Sisters, you know this. You know it's true that he appeared in order to take away sins. That Jesus actually came to free you from your sin and from the wrath your sin deserves. He says it again in verse 8. The reason the Son of God, the reason Jesus appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And by that he means to destroy the work of the devil in you. We said it earlier, let's say it again. We were fine being enemies of God. It didn't bother us at all. It was in our nature to be in rebellion to Him. And even then, even then, while we were yet sinners, Christ came and saved us. That Christ came and put to death the sin that you and I loved. Why? To make us new. To give us a new birth. To take out this heart of stone that was totally indifferent and to replace it with a heart of flesh. To make us a new creation. And now, the old is gone. The new has come. You are not what you were. For you were an enemy of of God. And now what? See what kind of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called what? Children of God. That while we were yet enemies, Christ came and said, Nope, I'm going to save you. You don't want it, I know. I'm going to work on that too. I'm going to save you. I'm going to draw you out. And we're supposed to see that. And we're supposed to be amazed at the love of God that would do something like that for us. That would take enemies and make them children. And in this newness that we have, notice what he says in verse 9. That's why no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. 
One of our seminary professors back in the day, he told the story of how he and his wife were adopting two little Russian orphans from a Russian orphanage. And he said the day that they went over there and finally made it to the orphanage to see their boys, he found them in a crib, essentially, in, in, in darkness, no caretakers around, and they were sitting in their own filth and excrement. Their clothes were rubbed in it. Nobody was there to help them. They, in those kind of orphanages, they just stop crying because nobody comes. Nobody shows up to help, and they, they get there, and the problem, he says, look, all the paperwork wasn't done. It wasn't finished. So we go, and we meet our sons, and we have to say to them, and they don't understand them, but he says, we have to say to them, we're coming back to get you. Hold on. Persevere. Remain. We will be back soon. And he says that they finally get back, he and his wife, and they get there, and they get these two little boys, and they get them out of their cribs and out of their filth and out of their excrement. They wash them, they clean them, and they put on new clothes, something that these boys had not had in forever. And they take them out into the sun, and the sun blinds them. Just They can't see because they weren't used to. They put them into a car. They don't ever remember being in a car. And they start walking away from this, driving away from this nightmarish situation of where these boys lived and where they had been. And the boys look back and they start reaching for the back window of the car and yelling. They want to go back where they were. It was all they knew. They didn't know anything else. I guess, what better, the devil that you know? They wanted to go back. And so he's having to say to them, listen. We're saving you out of what you were in. We're bringing you to something new. We're, we're, we're picking you up out of there, out of your filth, out of your shame, out of your rags, and we're bringing you to something new. We're taking orphans, and we're making them sons. You are one of us now. And in the same way, that's, that's what Christ does, that he comes to us. He delivers us. He redeems us. He picks us up out of the pit and he makes us sons and daughters of God. And when he does that, he makes us new creations. We're no longer fit to live in the darkness. No longer fit to sit in the filth. No longer able to dwell as we were. Because when you are made one of God's family, you are made a child of the light a son or daughter of the king, and that's where you are to dwell. That's why John can say, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. It doesn't work because Jesus came to destroy all that. Now, I want to be clear on something because if you haven't been here the last few weeks, you may be looking at yourself and saying, well, now I don't know. I don't know what I am because I sinned the other day. Because I fell the other day, I struggled the other day. Understand something. John is never saying that you will come to a place on this earth where you will stop struggling with sin. That you will never be perfect here on this earth. There will never be a day here where you don't have to rely on Christ for righteousness. That you will look at your life, and, and I think this is true even the older that you get, you see that you are more sinful than you thought you were. And yet when you see that, you see that, man, God was better than I ever thought possible. I thought I was pretty good. 
I thought when he saved me, it was kind of just like helping out a guy when he was a little down. No, no, no. He was bringing life to the dead. And it was a miracle. When you sin, what do you do? You trust that Jesus is still your Savior. That you still need him. That the cross, his blood, is still enough for you. And you confess your sins knowing that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But I can tell you this. As you, see, as you abide in Christ, you will see your sin dying. As you abide in his word, you will see it being put to death. You will see holiness and growth in your life because he's doing that. He's doing that. So brothers and sisters, children of God, are you living in the reality of who you are? You have the seed of God in you. Do you see the fruit of righteousness? Are you pursuing to be more like him? When his word calls you to obedience, do you obey? Are you seeking to put to death the sin that so easily entangles you? And if your answer to those questions is yes, then praise God. But if the answer to those is no, then you need to examine whether you are a child of God. And if you hear this and you say, I don't know this. I don't know this Christ. I've never trusted in him. Then, my friend, understand the goodness and kindness of the Lord in bringing you here today to hear his word. That he has spoken to you to say, yes, you are a sinner. But I have sent my son to save you. Look to Jesus this morning. Trust in him and he will save you. And if you have any questions about that, I'm going to be standing right down here during this last song. Or I'll be out the door after the service is over. I would love to have that conversation with you. But the Lord speaks to us through this word. How is he speaking to you? To what is he calling you to? What does obedience look like for you? If there is anything now he's calling you to, which I'm sure he is, obey. Trust him. And if there's anything I can do to be helpful, I'll be standing right down here. This is the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord abides forever. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that it's not all hellfire and brimstone. The bad news points us to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Lord, lead us in worship this morning, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.